Welcome to Season 2 of the Development Locker Podcast, where we progress to the how, where we aim to continue your development throughout the 2021-2022 season and start to proactively prepare you for your transition come the end of the season. Over the next 12 months, we will cover a variety of topics that you, the listener, have voted for taking ownership of your own development and transitional needs and those of other academy players and graduates. This podcast is a free platform that aims to put you, the person behind the player, at the forefront of everything we do, so that we may enhance your academy experience via our guidance, advice and support on a weekly basis. Each week, we invite guests to tell us their stories, share their experiences, so that you can take on board key messages that will positively impact your future. Our objective is to cover the basics well, provide you with the additional 1% in a variety of areas and give you an opportunity to continue your lifelong development as you transition through the academy system towards fulfilling your aspirations of becoming a professional football player and living a fulfilled life after football. These are your chosen episodes. This is your interview from The Locker. today's guest doesn't know about transition possibly ain't worth knowing now i know that this is a bold statement but believe me once you have listened to fabian's story you'll understand where i'm coming from from moving country and early age not once not twice but three times falling in love with football entering the academy system at a late stage in his development to signing pro countless loan spells and I'm going to stop there before I give too much away. What today's guest has gone through, very few will ever go through. And to think Fabian is still a young man, but with a maturity that defies his years and an approach that every single person listening to this should follow. I've said far too much already. I'm going to shut up and you're going to listen to your latest edition of The Journey as we bring you yet another interview from the locker welcome everyone so we have a very extra special guest this week and we're going to get straight into the questions as we always do and not hesitate because this one is going to be a great one so Fabian, in terms of first question to you not a lot of our listeners will probably know, born in Germany, but tell us about your journey that brought you to the UK. Yeah, um, hi, first and foremost, everyone. Um, bit of a bit of a journey it was, to be honest. So um, as you rightly said, I was born in Germany. Um, I actually grew up in Dubai a lot of my life, so um, lived there um, quite young, um, then went to, to Spain. And uh, as Spain is where I really, I really started um, playing football and sort of really enjoying it and uh, was doing well and had a few clubs um, start looking at me. And right around that time, um, my parents decided back to to move back to Dubai. So obviously Dubai is not very well known for, for its football. But um, what actually happened in Dubai is um, I was scouted by uh, Mick Leonard, who um, at the time, so he was working out there uh, called Jebel Ali Club, 
um, and Notts County at the time didn't have an academy, but Mick, um, they were starting it back up. It was around the Svengor and Ericsson time, and they were starting the academy back up, and Mick, Mick had got the academy manager's job. So um, Mick saw me play out there a couple of times, um, and he wanted to take me to Notts County when um, the apprenticeship programme opened. Uh, I did also have uh, a trial at Everton, which was um, sort of happening around the same time. And um, it came to the point whereby, uh, you know, Knox County said, you need to make a decision on whether you're coming to us. And Everton was still waiting to say, you know, we want to offer you something. And um, I sort of went along the lines of, you know, if you're good enough, you'll make it. That was sort of what I had in my mind back then. And um, yeah, came to Knox County at, at 16 and started my apprenticeship programme. Well, yeah, that's, a, that's a, a decent... I think you've ticked off most continents and countries there, so you've done all right then. <laughs> yeah, well-travelled, well-travelled, I have to say. It, it was actually, um, you know, from a cultural point of view and, and, and a self-development point of view as well, to experience so many different countries and, and Dubai is very international. I think it's it's done me a lot of good in my life, to be honest, to, to live those experiences. And it's sometimes been quite difficult, um, just from a transition point of view, Um moving countries trying to make new friends adapting learning new languages um that was tricky but i think i look back now and, it, and it's helped me a lot in in my life as well well you mentioned experiences there what what was the kind of you've done a very good summary very short summary probably one of the best i've heard but in terms <laughs> of your academy experience or what was that like did you you talked about your scholarship you know what age did you enter the academy system what was your, your kind of your experiences during that scholarship program yeah, so I went straight in as an apprentice at 16. Um, I have to be honest and say that it was really difficult, especially in the first year. Um, I came over from uh, Dubai um, and, you know, you, you live a certain type of life in Dubai and came over to the UK. Thankfully, my parents or my mum and stepdad, they, they came at the same time. I was in Nottingham and they moved to, um, to Stoke-on-Trent, so it wasn't too far, actually. Uh, but just that transition um, to moving away from home at 16, um, the digs I was at, it was quite challenging because, you know, I was there with another player and he was out a lot of the time. Um, so I kind of got in this routine where it was, you know, you, it was really intense program. They were very big on discipline. It really wanted us to to do all the jobs. I don't know if so many academies still do those now, but, now, but cleaning the boots, you know, doing the, laun the laundry, cleaning the changing rooms all that kind of stuff we uh, we were we were doing um so it was you know morning going to do that do your education uh, do the jobs train sessions in the afternoon you'd get back home about five and from five onwards i would just sit in my room to be honest lee i, I didn't really know quite what to do with myself at that point and it was that was a bit of a challenge for me and um I wasn't playing that much in the first year as well because we had a second-year goalkeeper and uh, obviously goalkeeping is, is a sort of ex position of experience. Um, but what I did in the second year was I, I asked, you know, to move into a digs with uh, a couple of other lads. So it was then four or five of us uh, where we had a little bit more of a, you know, togetherness, let's just say. And we were always, you know, travelling in together, coming back to digs together and, you know, just having that banter and around and the digs and uh, you know we would go maybe to the gym in the afternoon so we just kept my mind a lot more occupied and that also then translated onto the pitch whereby I actually started 
playing a lot, doing really well and performing and um, um, just managed to start getting in on the bench a couple of times, I think, as, a, as an apprentice as well. And um, made my debut, I think it was actually on the last day of the season against Colchester, um, just before signing my professional contract. So um, started off quite challenging, but as I got used to it, it, it got better. So knowing what you do now, would you still enter that process if you were to go be able to go back in time and speak to the younger Fabian? Would would you do something differently, or was it both good and bad experiences that have kind of made you the person you are today? Um, it's a really it's a really good question. I th I think uh, you know when you when you come into the system sometimes as a young lad, uh, and also from a family's point of view, perhaps you sometimes maybe a little bit afraid to to sort of really speak your mind because you feel like you're in a very privileged position obviously to go into an apprenticeship and yeah. you know there were certain times where you know I was I was just maybe a bit homesick asking you know can I go see my parents or I have a lot of family you know uh, overseas my dad lives in, in Germany so I wasn't getting to see him much and maybe just I think sometimes potentially standing up for yourself to say you know I think this for me is is right um you know, I would like to potentially go and see my family and, and maybe have a couple of days off in, during Christmas. Obviously, you know, everyone has different circumstances. Every child that goes into uh, or every player that goes into the apprenticeship program will come from different backgrounds, have different situations. I think for me, maybe just having a little bit more uh, flexibility or being able to go and see the family um, would have helped. But at the same time, you know, I think it's it did make me a stronger person and I, and I learned a lot. From that experience so it's always a it's always a good thing to look back in hindsight and say would you do things differently um you know there were challenging moments but i got through those and in the end it, I, I did get a professional contract which was the goal so uh, obviously something um worked yeah and you've teamed me up beautifully for the, for the next question i mean you signed for the oldest club in world football so was that everything you thought it was going to be because i'm maybe incorrectly assuming here, that was the be-all and end-all for you as a scholar to get that professional contract. Did it taste as sweet or was it kind of like, oh, no, this is just the beginning now. I've got a lot of hard work ahead of me. Or were you able to kind of savour that moment and kind of almost celebrate your success? You know, it's a, it's a really interesting one because, you know, obviously growing up in, in Dubai, it, it's not somewhere where, you know, there's there's a culture of football. So I've never been to to watch a game with my dad, for example, as a lot of maybe young apprentices and young footballers do. They go week in, week out, and, and that's obviously what they see, and that's where their dream to play at the highest level comes from. Mine mine was very different. I When I went to move back to move to Spain with, with my mum uh, and my dad initially, um you know, I didn't speak Spanish language um, and I used football as a, as a way to integrate into the culture and, and try and make, uh, build relationships and friendships. And um, I really then at that point started to enjoy football and I started to do well in it. You know, I actually started off as a striker, as probably most goalkeepers do. And the goalkeeper got injured and they say, hey, can you go in goal this weekend? And that's, that's really how my my career progressed my stepdad he used to used to play football um not at a high level but he used to be a goalkeeper himself and, and he sort of took it on to, to mentor me a little bit in that in that role and um i, I was performing well and, and my career just sort of naturally progressed that way quite 
quite weirdly. So um, when when I went to Dubai, you know, we started to to see obviously that I had potential to perhaps get a professional club through through what Mick had seen and what he said. I was also training in an academy with with Carlton Palmer, and that's how the the Everton trial came about. And at that point, it just became a little bit more more real, shall I say. I was starting to think, actually, okay, maybe I have a chance to to play professional football. And um, it was really quite surreal when I went over to, to the, or flew over to the UK with my mum and, you know, had the trial at Notts County. They were opening the academy. We played in the stadium. Um, and it was, it was a really surreal moment for me. And at that point, I think things just progressed and, and I took it in my stride a little bit, um, thinking, okay, yeah, I enjoy playing football. I want to go and, you know, make a career out of this as possible. Um, but likewise, I'd always been someone who was very academic at school. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd focused on, on my education just as much. But when I came into, let's just say, that apprenticeship program and that bubble a little bit, my, maybe I got a little bit more focused down the the football route and the education took a little bit of a set, step back, which um, that in hindsight perhaps, um, you know, wasn't such a good thing. Um, but yeah, no, obviously to, to get a professional contract, it's, it's a really small minority of us that, that achieved that. And um, I felt really proud to be able to do that. Um, you know, I haven't played hundreds of games in my career, but, you know, I, at least I can proudly stand there and say, you know, I've played professional football. Uh, I've been to Anfield, for instance. I've, I've, you know, played against Wolves and beat them in the, <laughs> it was a Johnson's paint trophy, but made penalty saves. So there are, you know, a lot of moments that I look back on on fondly and and you can say yeah you know it, it was a great experience to have and and i did really enjoy it even though it does have a lot of challenging moments i think when we come into football we often think it's going to be a smooth ride and uh, it's it's it, it might just happen but um, yeah certainly i was always someone that worked hard uh, in the apprenticeship and probably can say yeah i i, I deserve maybe to get a pro contract i think based on the hard work that i put in uh, but then when you get into a pro contract, that's when it really starts to become a, a really pressured environment. And I think sometimes, you know, as, as young players, we might not always be too prepared for that. I think it can come as a little bit of a shock. And I think it, that did happen to me as well. What what was the biggest shock then from the step up from under 18s to, to being a professional in your opinion? I think just the, the, the constant pressure um, maybe to, to need to perform. I think, to be honest, that the first first two years I was I was really enjoying it and I was taking it in my stride and then as I started to to realize a little bit more you, you start earning a little bit more money and then all of a sudden you know perhaps there's a change in, in manager and you think oh I've got to start all over again he doesn't know what I was like or what I'm like as a player and there was a certain instance in my career with the managerial change where I really didn't didn't we didn't click and it didn't fit and I lost a lot of confidence and I found it really difficult to to come back from that, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's yeah, I mean, it's it's not always the case. I think I've, very few and far between lads I've seen you sign that professional contract and you know gone on that straight line trajectory upwards. It's yeah, I think there's mm. more challenges yeah. along the way, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, it's an ironic one, really. And it can when you sign that, sorry, yeah, it can sometimes be a little bit you know political. I think uh, as well, unfortunately, yes. in, in the sense that you know there were certain loan moves um 
which I was meant to meant to have, but because you know I was a second choice goalkeeper at the time, I couldn't go. But I needed experience. Yet we didn't have a 23s team, so there are those moments that it can you know be quite difficult. And I don't think any any football player will will come back and say, yeah, the journey has been a, a straightforward line trajectory. There's always ups and downs um, along the way. I mean, speaking of those loans, you've had you know quite a number of, of loan periods and. While you were contracted, not to count it. How hard is that from a non-footballer? How hard is that to prove yourself at another club in such a short space of time? Is is it even possible for you to make that lasting impression to get that loan move permanent, or to be able to come back into not counting and slot back in into the first team environment? How hard is that over a short period of time? Yeah. So. Um... <laughs> I had multiple loans. Um, I think my first one, um, if I'm not mistaken, was actually to Corby Town, which wasn't too bad at all in the sense that it wasn't it wasn't so far away. Um, I think they were playing in the Conference North at the time, if I'm not mistaken, and I was still still actually an apprentice. So at 17, I was going out on loan. Obviously, very very different game when you are you know 17 as a goalkeeper going into the men's game. Um, completely different from a physical standpoint, um, just the way the game is played, the pressure as well. Obviously, on 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 you know the players there are playing, I suppose, a little bit more for contracts, finances. Whether it's an apprentice, it's more you're playing to, I suppose, develop as a player. Um, so it's a very different game. And then actually, I recall my second one was to Lewis, and that was that was a really difficult one. It was only a month in the end because um, I had to cut it short because of an injury, but. Lewis is, is about four and a half hours away from, from Nottingham. So literally uh, myself and another player, we were driving, you know, midweek sometimes, um, early in the morning, leaving to on a Tuesday to, to drive down to, to London. He, he had his house there, so or his parents lived there. So we stayed there for a couple of hours, then drive down to, to Lewis, um, play a game in the night, finish at half past 10, 11 o'clock, and drive back all the way up to Nottingham. Um, getting back at three o'clock in the morning, and then the next day we had college. So, you know that was that was quite challenging, and you know just from a physical and a mental point of view, it, it, it drains you. Um, but also, again, good experience to to go out there and 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 just just yeah play games. I think that's what you need. I think as a young young player is is just to play games. And uh, um, like I said. There were times then when I got my professional contract where I really would have liked to go out on loan, especially when I was, uh, you know, in form. Um, we had the other goalkeeper at the time was Bartosz Bialkowski. I think he's at Millwall still now. He's played for the Poland national team. So he was he was really different class. He was a great goalkeeper. So it was really difficult to get, a, to get in ahead of him. Uh, the only reason I managed to get in was because he, he got injured and I didn't, would say I took my chance, but then was dropped again because I was the, the younger player and he's obviously a more experienced pro and that's how, a little bit how it is as a goalkeeper. Uh, but going back to the loans, then I then I think had a loan at Bristol was the last one that I that I actually had and that was quite a difficult one for me as well. Uh, obviously, big club um, at the time, they were at the top of the conference, um, but when I went to Bristol, I was at a moment where I was really low on confidence uh, myself and uh, I struggled to to integrate into the team. Um, I would say, you know, you're coming in as a goalkeeper, 
quite young at that time still at the first game I remember I, I did well uh, but then made a couple of mistakes and sort of yeah I, it was only a, a four-week loan and it was it was quite challenging you know living in the hotel by yourself sometimes as well you know you don't any have anyone around that you know very well that was I would say quite difficult and didn't manage to to settle in um, so to answer the question it, it is challenging to go and prove yourself over a short period of time. Uh, you, you just mentioned four weeks there. Is that even possible for you to make a lasting, significant impression in four weeks, in 28 days, that somebody's going to make a decision on you to give you a year's, two years, three-year contracts? Is that even possible? No, I, I don't think it is. Um, one of the one of the books that I've read is, is on a goalkeeper called Robert Enker. I don't know if it if it yes. was a bell for anyone where he obviously took his own life. And I yeah. really recall a quote where he was saying, you know, as a goalkeeper, if you're going into a team, you know, it's, it's, you cannot win in that situation almost where, you know, the team are constantly winning, you know, the, the goalkeeper has been injured. You're coming in, just slotting into filling that position and you're expected to, to just perform and carry that on. If you don't perform, you know, you lose because you know the team might start losing and you haven't performed so you're a bit the scapegoat but if you're winning everything is normal because that's what was happening anyways so that analogy I've applied a couple of times I would say was similar at Bristol where you know I came in and you know I had to do well uh, I didn't and that meant I was a bit of a well, a scapegoat, not not scapegoat, I wouldn't say, because we we're still winning, but personally, I just wasn't performing. And, and, and I think for a lot of perhaps clubs around that might have, you know, rang a little bit alarm bells, the fact that I didn't do that well in that four-week period. Um, prior to that, you know, I was, I was 18, 19, doing really well, played first-team games as a goalkeeper. I think that, that was quite an achievement. Uh, and I think at that point as well, a few clubs were looking at me, but then when that loan to Bristol Rovers didn't quite work the way I was hoping it would, it sort of really quite knocked my career back. And that was a year, uh, if I'm not mistaken, where I was I was released or shortly after released. And that then meant I struggled to find a new club in, in the summer. So, uh, yeah. Just continue with that, the, the loan theme there. I mean, as a goalkeeper, is it almost inevitable that even when you sign that first pro contract, is it almost inevitable that you're potentially going to have to go out on loan because of the, and we're generalising here, but because of the age and development and the the, the maturation for that position where mm. it's very rare you see clubs, teams give trust to a very young keeper. There's always exceptions to the rule, like Don mm. Rumor and et cetera. But is it almost inevitable when you sign that pro deal? It's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm a professional, but my short-term future most likely is going to be elsewhere, out on loan, down the tiers, to mm. get first-team football, to develop, then to be able to come back in when I've matured a little bit more, I've developed a little bit more, and then I'm ready. Is that inevitable or is that an incorrect statement? I, I think I think so. I think as a goalkeeper, you have to make your mistakes. Um, you know, every, I think every manager knows that as well. And, you know, some... Some managers are a little bit more willing to take a risk sometimes. Others are a little bit less willing to take a risk. I do actually feel, though, had I gone into the Notts County team and continued playing, you know, maybe for 30, 40 games in the season, that would have really helped me mature. And I feel like I would have done really well because I felt comfortable 
if that makes sense. Uh, in that environment, I knew the players, um, I knew the team, I was training with them day in, day out. Whereas when you're going on loan to a conference, Conference North team, it might be part-time, you know, you're there twice twice a week, you might be training on a 3G pitch at times. I know a lot of the conference club has, have invested and a lot more become full-time, but that's typically what it is. And, you know, for you to train with a team maybe twice a week and just go in there, and make a good impression that that can also be be quite challenging um so but i do i, I see both sides to to the coin and in, in that you know as a, as a young goalkeeper experience is so important so if you can't get that at your current club then the next best thing is obviously that you're going to have to go out on loan and you know the uh, being an apprentice and under 18 player is is like i said earlier a very different type of football and i think a lot of managers would like to see or want to see how Okay, he's he's done his his apprenticeship. He's a good player. We like him. We'll offer him a first year pro. Let's see how he now does uh, in a men's environment, men's football. Can he go and make a difference? You know, at Conference North, Conference South level, uh, and 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 be an impact player. Um, so I think that's the question that a lot of the managers ask themselves. And then one final one on the loan one is: so for you as a as an individual, is it? How do you see a loan? Do you see that as an opportunity to impress to get a future elsewhere? Or is it a chance for you to prove your kind of contracted club wrong so that, you know, they recall you sooner or when your loan period ends, you're in the first team and you, you kick on and you're flying and you, you kind of never look back. Which way do you view it or do you keep your options open and you just go with the flow? It, to be honest, Lee, I never, I never thought of the loan as a way of getting a move. To be honest, I always saw it as, as a way to impress the current manager at the club. Um, yeah. So, so that's how I would, I would definitely see that. Um, yeah. Okay. And then, in terms of, I mean, we're fast forwarding a lot here. I mean, I know you've got, you've gone through, you know, a, a great deal of loan periods, and you, you've commented on a few of them, but. Like you retired early. At, at what point did you know it was time to step away from the sport that you love? Was there a particular moment? Was there a culmination of kind of key points in your playing career or your personal mm. life? What, what what brought that decision on? Yeah, I think throughout my career, I've you know I've I've had some quite challenging or very difficult moments, and you know I'm happy to to openly say you know struggled. You know, mentally as well, my mental health issues at times um, for various reasons. But, you know, I think over a period of time, it became a little bit of an accumulation. Um, I remember the last club that I went to, I, I just said, you know, I just want to go and, and enjoy playing football again. It was it was Nantwich, which is not far, a semi-professional club. And, and I actually did really enjoy um, that experience of just having a club nearby where, you know, you you're working throughout the day or throughout the week and then you, you go and play. Uh, but even that, after a while, just became very, very serious environment. And at the end, I was I was sort of considering, you know, I'm, I'm getting to a point in my life where I have to, in my view, try and make some form of a decision in terms of do I continue pursuing this avenue of, of football or do I pursue other avenues now in my you know, career, which is going to take me hopefully to, you know, later, later days in life. And, and, and where do I want to go with everything? Um, you know, so football is always a commitment. 
uh, regardless of whether it's professional or, or semi-professional, you're always thinking about the next game. And um, yeah, I got to that stage where I was I was like, I really want to try and progress my career off the pitch now and, and, and focus on that. And um, actually, the decision came as a consequence to a lot of self-reflection. You know, I did my master's, a uh, bit of an odd one, but I did it on my own experiences within um, with within the game. So, that, you know, some of the psychological challenges that, that I experienced and I revisited a lot of my memories and, and uh, I just, in the end, came to that conclusion, okay, you know, um, I want to focus on, on my career off the pitch now and, and, I, and I think... Making that decision has also helped me with that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And you mentioned your master's there, so you, you, you did continue your academic development, both at undergrad level and master's. Mm-hmm. From either or both, what aspects did you add to your development? Was the certain bits that you, you enjoyed, that stood out, that really kind of got the juices flowing in terms of, you know, developing your knowledge and, you know, getting those two major qualifications? Yeah, so uh, I'll be very honest and, and, and say that, you know, when I did my undergrad, uh, I was still, you know, very, very focused on on the football. The only reason I decided to, to partially take that on was um, sort of my, my mother and stepfather saying, you know, you need to take have some form of, uh, you know, qualification, you need to do something just also as a, as a way of, of keeping my mind occupied, because, you know, football, you, you we have a lot of spare time, to be honest, even though we're elite athletes, you have a lot of time in the afternoons and sometimes you can get in the habit of just sitting there and just, you know, watching TV and, and not really developing yourself in any way. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that I made as well when I was playing professionally was just having that tunnel vision in terms of, you know, football, football, football and not having any other aspects in my life that could distract me and, you know, release a little bit of pressure. Um, so that's one of the one of the biggest mistakes I feel I made in my career. But when I um, decided to take on the undergrad, prior to prior to these two, I actually started a, a master's in uh, sorry an undergrad in in sports business as well through FIF Pro. Uh, and you know, after three weeks, I just said, you know, I need to focus on football, um, and that was completely the wrong attitude back at the time. And then after that. I then decided to do the sports writing and broadcasting degree through the PFA, which uh, a lot of a lot of players do it. The reason I took that was because I didn't know what I enjoyed, Lee. Um, I didn't know outside of football what I wanted to do. And this was a two-year degree um, where, you know, I just thought, okay, I'll, I'll just get something under my belt and see where it takes me, to be honest. And, and again, that was a failure, failure to plan, to be honest, post, post-career. So... Um, at the time, we didn't have the support, I suppose, maybe that clubs give now to, to some of the younger players. But um, that was a that was a mistake. But anyways, I managed to managed to complete that and and then toyed around with a couple of uh, not toyed around, but investigated, explored a couple of different avenues. I did um, PT in course, which in the end that wasn't quite the right career for me. I worked at Bet Three Six Five. Um, because my languages, uh, I was able to work there as an international content advisor. To be honest, I didn't really enjoy that at all. And I then, at that point, went went back to the drawing board and said, "Right, Fabian, what you know, what what do you like? What do you want to do?" Uh, and you know, based on my own experiences in football, I thought, you know, actually, I want to try and help the younger generation of players not make the same mistakes that I've made in even though it's short career, but I don't want them to make the same mistakes. Um, so 
sort of something along the lines of performance lifestyle, education, um, player welfare office, something along um, those career lines. And I decided to go back to university to, to further educate myself with a master's uh, and um, then also did some other qualifications like the TALS, for instance. And um, yeah, I think definitely it's helped me and it helps players on and off the pitch. So I think we often, well, traditionally, there's always been this, this mindset or this view that if you're not focusing solely on football, you're not going to be successful. But there's actually out research out there now that says, you know, having or being a dual career athlete is positive for your uh, for your development on the pitch as well. And I, and I think when I look back at my own career as well, you know, as a goalkeeper, you have to make split split decisions, you know, really quick decisions. And the fact that I at the time wasn't, you know, exercising my mind, we forget that, you know, the mind. You know, you focus how long you can focus for, for instance, that's impacted by how often you're using your mind. You know, these days we all use a calculator. We don't we don't really process, um, you know, maths, for instance, or, or this quick decision making. And I feel like the fact that I was becoming a bit lethargic mentally impacted me on the pitch as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really good to hear that. Obviously, you continued your, your academic development and, you know, you made that bold decision to do your undergrad while you were still playing, you know, whether it initially worked out or not. And I suppose you've come full circle, done your master's and, yeah, you know, it's just kind of testament to the individual you are that you did, you know, multiple careers, you tried your hand at everything and that's, a, you know, a really open-minded approach. And I suppose fast-forwarding to, to kind of where you are today, so you You've recently become an education officer with a company called Maneva. Can you tell our listeners about, you know, what that organisation is, what your job role is and kind of your, how much you're passionate about providing academy players and professionals with those academic opportunities now? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Minerva started off as a, as a tutoring business back in, in 2014. And um, one of the trends yeah, the company saw was that a lot of young younger athletes, a lot of different sports, but like tennis, golf, uh, swimming, were using um, were using their their services for for just additional tutoring and, and mentoring um, to support their academics. And um, with COVID happening in in two thousand and twenty one, December two thousand twenty. January two thousand twenty one. Sorry, um, we we launched a, an online school. Uh, which offers a GCSE and an A-level program. And uh, again, the, we, or the CEO saw a, a slight a trend of, of young athletes um, from different sports, again, joining the online school just because the flexibility that it gave them to, to continue their education around travel commitments, training commitments. Um, you know, there's a lot of individual sports, again, swimming, rowing, the amount of hours that you have to devote alongside the training are, are, are in alongside the education sorry are, are incredible and um this this online model gives them uh, all those sites those kinds of individuals a lot of flexibility to, to better manage their time so um i was brought in in january to to try and expand to grow the work and the support that we can offer to to young athletes um around the world and obviously my space and my experience is football and one of the the challenges that i experienced at um in the apprenticeship program was, you know, that I was a little bit, I would say, funneled down the BTEC route. And, um, you know, I know it's offered as part of the apprenticeship program, um, but uh, there's a lot of, you know, individuals out there who might not want to study sport. And I feel like, you know, we as, 
as people working in sport and in or, as organizations, we should offer variety and, and options to the players. So one of the things that I've been working on over the last few months is trying to work on a program in terms of how we can integrate maybe some A-levels or an A-level for a player alongside uh, that VTech program, just so they've, you know, they can continue exploring other avenues. Um, you know, my career has gone down the sport pathway in terms of um, BTEC, BTEC Sport. I did my extended diploma, but um, then the sports writing and broadcasting and then the sports business management masters. Uh, whether that's entirely been because I did the BTEC, I'm not sure. I do enjoy sport, but I do feel like that has had an impact on where my career um, has gone. And, you know, maybe had I explored um maybe a business a level or, or an economics a level maybe my career might have gone um slightly different um avenues and i think the players and families are a lot more self-aware now as well i didn't feel like at the time i could say anything it was you know signing the apprenticeship or uh, or not so um, that was a decision that i took and yeah i'm just working on this program now to try and facilitate uh, and an A-level alongside the, the BTEC program to to just help um, those apprentices uh, with, with other career avenues. And actually, you know, I think that the transition post-apprenticeship sometimes starts at 16 already, um, yeah. whereby you have, you know, you have to try and get individuals thinking about um, just other other things, you know, for, the, the apprenticeship program and football in general is is very all-consuming. You know, we're in like a little bit of a bubble sometimes. And, and you know, if you have kids, my, my goal is just to have players at different clubs uh, who can who can join in virtual classrooms, uh, be part of a mentoring program, and do their their A levels um, that way. Yeah, and I mean it's it's really good to hear because I think that the A levels is is massively underrated understated and and like you said I, I understand the limitations of the apprenticeship program but i think we do need to move away and quite quickly and rapidly away from just offering the btec and it needs to be a lot of more add-on bolt-ons call them what you will to to really fulfill the potential of, of those individual skills so it's good that you're doing that and you said about you know transition there and one potential pathway uh, on on academy graduates transition is US scholarship. You've also ticked that box as well. So you've, you've worked for an agency to get lads out into America on a you know a four year scholarship. You know a, a lot of the time fully paid and, and more enhanced lived experiences. You know across the pond. Tell us about your work with that with that agency and and kind of the satisfaction you got from getting you know academy graduates out to kind of reset, continuing their football and academic journey. Yeah, so um, it was a it was a really rewarding role actually. When you you know when you work with young apprentices and and they, for instance, yeah, want to go over to America and, and they're over there and they start playing and they start enjoying it and they start seeing that bigger picture also of education. Uh, it, it was really rewarding. When when I was an apprentice, I remember going to a, a careers fair um, and looking at there was a lot of American university stalls there and. Uh, I, was, I can't remember what university it was, but I was speaking to one. I was I was really really interested in, in in going, even though, you know, I had a pro contract there, more or less. You know, they were saying I was going to be offered one, and I just I remember my coach coming over to me and saying, you know, what you're doing here, you're going to be you're going to be offered a pro. But you know, I I think that 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 is wrong. You know, because there might be lads out there who 
would rather choose America over getting a pro contract. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that, uh, in my view. Um, but the American pathway has become a lot more competitive. I think a lot of the um, perhaps maybe apprentices sometimes think that, you know, just because they've played a professional club, that it's going to be an easy journey for them to get over there and they're going to go to, you know, a, a top program. It, it doesn't really work like that because there are a lot of factors involved. For instance, the grades that they have at GCSE level have an impact on, you know, potentially the type of scholarship and whether they're admitted to the university in the first place. And a lot of the lads don't always understand that. They just think, oh, yeah, I play football. I'll get a, I'll get a full ride scholarship. Uh, you know, at Clemson, for instance. And um, no, it, it's, it's, I'd really value the path because I, I think just from a, you know, a cultural point of view, you're experiencing, experiencing something completely new. Uh, from a footballing point of view, it's a very high level that can still give you opportunities to go in, uh, into professional football. But it's also, you know, how important the academics or the academic side of things is. And, you know, the fact that you can play full-time football uh, whilst studying a degree, I think, you know, in the UK, we have, you know, a lot to learn from that. Uh, I'm not saying the US do everything right. Um, but, you know, if you're not performing academically, you shouldn't be in the team or you're not playing, you know, and I, I like that approach because it shows that, you know, how much the education should actually be valued. Um, and it, it, it's really important for, for lads to understand that as well. But um, yeah, I've had, had quite a few um you know really enjoy the process going over there and um absolutely loving it and and for me that's that's great to see because i'm a big advocate of the pathway what's the biggest shock that lads have confided in you or the biggest eye-opener when they've got themselves out there and they've bedded in and is it the level of football is it the the variety of the education the, the travel what's the biggest eye-opener that some of the lads have conveyed to you once they've been out there yeah, I think it, it depends a lot on, on, on where you go, what type of university. Obviously, America has a lot of different states and each state is almost like a country in its, <laughs> on its own. So, um, you know, some, some universities, for instance, are very religious. You know, sometimes the lads find it difficult maybe to, to, um, to adapt or, or to understand that approach or the mentality is just, again, a completely different culture that they might not be not be used to and I, I always say to them you know your research is your most important thing you know you have to understand um, what it is like where you're going coaches are always going to try and sell you the program a little bit it's really important to speak to other players on the team before going over just to get a uh, you know a much better feel for the place um, as well starting the process early is, is key as well so you you can maximize your opportunities I think a lot of the players think joining in and uh you know in april when they get told about their contracts all of a sudden they're going to be able to get a, a top university and it, it doesn't work like that because most scholarships at that point have been given out by the coaches um but yeah i think you know in terms of level of football i think sometimes they are definitely surprised um coaches you know i would say again it's very it's very important to go somewhere where you have a good relationship with a coach or where you where you can see someone who you can identify with because some American coaches can be very, I suppose, uh, cutthroat can be very, uh, you know, harsh, maybe at times. Um, and you know, there's a lot of English coaches over there now, for instance. So having an English coach might really help with that, that integration and, and looking past 
actually, you know, the glamour of the big campuses and, and you know, the division, you know, yeah, I want to go and play D1. That's what I always hear. But actually, you know, is a D2 programme maybe the right option for you where you can prove yourself and then maybe move on to a better opportunity? And uh, I think that's so important for the, for the lads to understand is, you know, it's not all about just playing Division One. You're now going to university where, you know, your education is, is key. Yes, you're going to play football as well, but find somewhere where, you know, the adaptation period is going to be as easy as possible where you can perform. Because if you're not enjoying it, you're not going to be able to play at your best. Um, that's what I've I found throughout my career. If I'm not in a good space or you know, I'm finding things difficult, performing on the pitch can be challenging as well. So, um, yeah, that, that's, I would say, some advice I would give. Good. And then in terms of, I've just said before, you know, you've ticked many different boxes. You've gone through, I mean, it's not a competition. I'm sure it's, it wasn't for you, but you've gone through probably the most transitions and covered almost everything that, you know, this podcast and I tell, you know, academy players and academy graduates like, oh, these are your pathways or you could try that route, this route. You seem to have tried them all. In terms of that, which one did you find the most rewarding and why? Yeah, I thought about this uh, this earlier, but... Um... I think, you know, the, the most, I'll start with the most difficult one. Uh, you know, the most difficult transition was the decision to stop playing, I, I would say, just because, you know, you've had, I've had, I've had my, my stepdad, my family really support me throughout my entire footballing journey. And um, for me to, to then say, actually, you know, this is not right for me anymore. Um, I'm going to focus on someone, something else that was, that was very difficult, um, but I do feel that ultimately decisions you have to make in your own interest. You, you, you can't base your decision on what, you know, other people are thinking or what they want you to do. You have to, you know, um, yeah, make decisions for yourself. So, um, yeah, that transition was, was really difficult. And um, in terms of rewarding, probably a pro contract, uh, you know, at that time at 18 and you're given a professional contract. Um, it, I don't know. It, it's again, it's not something that perhaps I dreamt of as a child, but just the fact that I'd achieved something that, you know, so little people actually, or so, so not many individuals actually get to achieve and get to experience and get to play in front of, you know, 10, 15,000 people at times. Um, it was a great experience despite the pressure um so just just the transition into professional football i would say you know at the start was was for me um really really rewarding you've absolutely done me up there i was thinking i was thinking all the ones that you've done well it's a great opportunity for me to show this as an example to lads about it's not all about the pro contract but now well let me expand i suppose lee as well and i mean you know no, but it, it's it's your viewpoint, and it's and it's a valid one, and it's it's one that is quite common, isn't it? And I think you know, rightly or wrongly, that that's what academy players, that's what you know yourself, you're, you're living, you're you're eating, sleeping, dreaming of that opportunity. So yeah, it'd be it'd be wrong to say you know that it wouldn't be signing on that dotted line for your pro contract to be your most rewarding part because that's almost your Mount Everest, isn't it? But we're both 
wise enough and, and, and experienced enough to know that that's not always the case and then there's a big drop off in that Mount well, Everest afterwards. The thing with it, the thing with my most challenging point is actually it's also one of the most rewarding ones so you know where I said the most difficult thing is, is is to stop playing but for me mentally it's also been one of the most rewarding things uh, yeah. in the sense that I've, I've felt just a little bit I just I don't know how to explain it but just a little bit more more free um you know not not you know when you when you're in the football environment you have your family your friends they're always asking you how's your game or are you playing on saturday it, it's really so all-consuming and, and it's, it's football 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 and it's difficult to get away from that um so for me with the time where i decided to step away it was like just a big weight lifted off my shoulders and say i can breathe a little bit more now and i can enjoy just focusing on on other things and, and developing in other areas of my life. So um, that also is is really important to acknowledge that the most challenging has also been the most one of the most rewarding in you know conjunction obviously with getting a pro contract. Um, so yeah. And then to finish off, we, we always kind of uh, ask our, our guests to kind of give one lasting impression, one lasting kind of golden nugget piece of advice. In terms of our listeners who are listening to, to your journey and obviously will have taken a lot, is there any one piece of advice that you want to leave them with in regards to the transitions that they're going through right now? Because it's that time of the season, you know, return and release, whether that's a 16 not getting offered a scholarship, whether that's a, an 18 not getting offered a pro contract, or so that first year, second year pro, their contract coming to an end. Have you got a piece of advice for those transitioning, potentially still in football or outside of it? Yeah, I don't know if it's one piece of advice. I think I've quite quite a lot, but uh, you know what, what's really important is you know to to always always be yourself. I think first and foremost, uh, sometimes we get pulled perhaps into a little bit of a of a culture sometimes, or you know what other people think about us. And you know, I remember when I was playing, sometimes you know you'd maybe take a book or, or something onto the bus, and everyone's looking at you like, "What's he doing? Why is he reading?" You know, sort of. A little bit like that, you know. Just, just be yourself. Do what exactly what it is that you want to do. Um, have have an open mind, and and you know, don't think of don't think of a transition as failure because it's not. Um, you know, transition is something that we we all go through or or will experience at some point. And you know, the best time, the best best time to prepare is whilst you're still in football. Um, you know, I regret so much now that I didn't actually do more work experience whilst I was at the club. You know, I could have just gone to the marketing department and said, can you show me a little bit about what it is that you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, go to the groundsman, can you show me or can you, can I learn a little bit off you? Just, you know, do those things rather than go home and, and, and just watch the TV or play on your PlayStation, whatever it might be, because that is the best time you have to explore. And, and I think exploration is key because you know, sometimes at 16, 17, 18, up to what, 24, 25, sometimes, you know, you don't exactly know what you want to do. And the best way to find out is just by exploring different career paths. Um, I think a lot of the players, a lot of the clubs do a lot of good work now with putting on life skills programs, getting guest speakers in to talk um, to the lads uh, about, again, different career options, really, you know, listen to them, build your network, because again, 
you know, when you're in the football environment, everyone wants to be associated, you know, with with you. That that, that is a fact, really. You know, you're a lot more popular when you are in that environment than, than when you came or when you come out. I was really, really naive to think that, um, you know, I've played professionally, even though for a couple of years, I did my undergrad, did my master's. I still found it really challenging to find, you know, uh, employment and what I enjoyed. And, and, you know, I had to do jobs that I didn't really want to do. And that was because I just didn't, didn't prepare as well as I should have back in the day. Um, so, you know, whilst you're still in that, that space and you have connections around you, you know, you have people at the club, you've got, you know, CEOs, uh, successful people, go and ask them, go and sit with them, you know, take an hour of their time, ask them, you know, how, what, what do you do? How can I learn something off you? And just, just use that time whilst you're in, in the game to, to explore networks are key in sport. Um, and yeah, try and explore different things and, and don't, don't for one second assume that, you know, education is going to take you or education or pursuing hobbies or whatever it might be is going to take you away from from that dream of, of playing football because it's actually just going to help you along the way. So, No, that's, that's great advice. And I mean, it's the fact that you're, you're, you're a globe trotter. You've been probably to more countries than my passport has. You've had more loans than uh, the Chelsea squad put together. Probably, and <laughs> the fact that you've, you've tried every different pathway that is available to you know academy graduates, you know professional footballers when they are transitioning out of the sport, and that's the reason why we got you on. And, and because of that, I want to you know personally thank you for giving up your time to to come onto the podcast and and give back for free to to our listeners on behalf of our listeners. I want to thank you as well because even though you've given that great lasting piece of advice from minute one all the way through to, um, you know, the end of this episode. I'm sure they'll have taken plenty from your journey, your individual journey. I know it's individual, but there'll be a lot of common traits amongst your your many years in, in and out of football where they can take a lot from and hopefully embed it and, and have a better transition than uh, they're currently having at the moment. So thank you. No, you're most welcome. And if anyone who is listening is you know, perhaps a younger player or player of any age really and just wants to to ask me something or connect in any way. If I can help, then, you know, they can just drop me a LinkedIn message or um, reach me on social media, whatever it might be. Always happy to, to help. Yeah, we'll share your social media details on, on our website and we'll certainly share the details for Minerva, your, your, your latest venture in terms of the GCC and A-level provision. And uh, yeah, any lads listening to this, if you want to get in contact with uh, Fabian, then yeah, please do. He's a, he's a great individual and he'll do everything he possibly can to uh, support your transition. So yeah, that'd be good. Thanks for that, Fabian. It was really good. Brilliant. Thanks, Lee. Appreciate it. It was hard to cram all of Fabian's journey into one episode. I'm sure we'll have him back in season three. But for now, let's celebrate and champion the individual he is. Someone who not only has the guts to study while still pursuing the career he and others have all dreamed of, but also to practice what he preaches to the many athletes he's involved with today. Whether it's advice, 
and conversations around US scholarships, or you're struggling with your GCSEs at under 16s level, but don't feel it's possible to study A-levels while committing to a full-time job in football, Fabian is the man to talk to. He's lived it, been there, done it, and has countless t-shirts, and is in a unique position to tell you about the ups and downs, the challenges, and the rewards of doing so. To reach out to Fabian, you can find his details on our website. But for now, that's it for this week and this month's theme of transition as we move on topics and cover all things finances in the month of April, where we really have excelled ourselves in bringing you some amazing guests. Don't judge me now, judge me when we bring you your next month's interviews from The Locker. See you next week. hope you enjoyed this week's episode and look forward to you joining us next week when we bring you another interview from the locker be sure to follow this podcast to access the latest episodes and make sure you share these interviews with your friends family teammates and anyone you feel will benefit from the episodes look out for behind the scenes footage on our instagram page for more information on our facebook page and be sure to give us a follow on twitter too Don't forget to access our website for up-to-date resources as well as contact details for all our guests who appear on the podcast from week to week. All these details can be found in the About section on the podcast platform you have accessed this episode from. We look forward to you joining us next week in listening to more interviews from The Locker.